today we will be exploring in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. This question, how is it that we can take the plunge? You see in Malachi last week, for those of you who were with us, we, we finished up our series in the Minor Prophets from Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, Malachi talks about the fact that uh, though the promises of God sometimes seem delayed to us, that that's no reason or excuse to believe that God has let us down or that He is not worth uh, our giving our best to. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, after promising that God will indeed come into His house, that Jesus will come, that John the Baptist will pave the way for Him, in chapter 3, verse 10, He says that we ought to test the Lord in this, that we ought to, we ought to take the plunge. That we ought to go for it. And, and the reality is, some of you last week probably thought, Daniel, that's, that's great. I want to test the Lord in this, but, but I, I have my hesitations. I have my reservations. I'm a little anxious about that. How is it that I could take the plunge? And I believe Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 34, helps us understand not, the, not only the need to take the plunge in terms of offering to God our very best, but also how it is that we would do that. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, would you read with me? God says through Luke this, these words, And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow and thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing Treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you pray with me? God, help us both to understand and then to apply what it is you are teaching us in Luke's gospel this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you may have noticed, I don't have the skin type or the skin tone to be a lover of sun and water. 
I hesitate to put this suit on every time I do because you can't tell where the suit ends and my skin begins. Much of what we do around water requires faith. And I, I love to be in the water. From the very first time I went near a pool, I absolutely loved it. But, but being around water requires faith. I remember teaching Elizabeth how to swim and the fundamentals of just getting her to float. And you can't float in the water until you stop trying to hold yourself up. You have to give yourself over and become limp and almost like you're laying on a bed and trust that the water's going to support your weight because as long as you try to hold yourself up, you're going to sink. When I was younger, one of my earliest memories is an embarrassment. Does it, is that happen in your life? All my earliest memories are, are my greatest failures. I can't remember any of my conquests, but I can tell you all the times I messed up. One of my earliest memories is over at Montclair Pool in Montclair Estates. I was 10, 11 years old, and all my friends were jumping off the high dive into the deep end of the pool. And all my friends were like, you can do it, you can do it, you should do it. And so one day I finally mustered up the courage to jump off the high dive. Or so I thought. So I went up every single step and the ground got further and further away and I did what you should never do. I walked out to the end of the board and I looked at the end of the pool and then I promptly walked all the way back down the platform, back down every single step. And as I descended the ladder, it was like every single step was a confirmation of this. You're such a coward. I, I didn't take the plunge. When Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, stop fishing and start fishing for men. When he says to the 70 disciples, you've been with me long enough. And now I'm sending you like lambs in the midst of wolves to reap my harvest. When he says in Luke 9, chapter 23, if anyone wishes to come after me and deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When Jesus says to us, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When Jesus says these things, how is it that we get out of the boat enter uncertain territory, take up our cross gladly, and give ourselves to Christ. How is it, North Roanoke, that we actually jump off the platform and take the plunge? To take the plunge, to, to go all in for Jesus, there's three things I believe Luke tells us we must do. First, we must stop worrying about ourselves. Secondly, we must seek the kingdom with confidence of the Father's provision and thirdly, we must treasure Christ in the progress of His gospel above all other treasures. First, we must stop worrying about ourselves. You see that in verse 22? Luke says, For this reason I say to you, do not worry. Literally, stop worrying. The implication is they are in the act of consistently worrying about themselves. And Jesus says, stop it. Just stop worrying. Now, the point is not that we must stop thinking about ourselves. Worry and thinking are, are two different things. Jesus assumes that we will think about ourselves when he says the second greatest command is that we love our neighbor as ourselves, right? So this sort of interest in ourselves is good. I hope you think about yourselves sometimes. 
that you decide to wake up and put clothes on, that you decide to fix your hair, that you even brush your teeth before you come to church on Sunday morning. Thinking about yourselves is okay. It's okay to think about what's for dinner or check the weather before we go on vacation. But as Jesus commands us in verse 22, we must stop worrying about ourselves. We must stop being anxious, dwelling on every why, what if, and when, and wherefore of our physical lives. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. But Jesus came to free us from the what ifs of Life. And it's, it's almost like God knew I was preparing this sermon this week because a few days ago as I was in the finalization process of sermon writing, guess what Daniel did? He lost his wallet. And I was like, all right, Lord, I'm preaching on not worrying about what I will eat or what I will wear, and I can't find my wallet. Ha, ha, ha. <sighs> I found it. It was right where I left it. And, and I, would like, I would like to say to you this morning that, that I didn't have that clutching feeling on the inside and I was trying to not worry and to rise above and for a while I did okay, but then I went to my usual spots where my wallet certainly had to be and it was in none of those spots and suddenly I was like, I got to call Visa and the bank and I got to get a new driver's license and I was, I was fretting about the stuff of life. I could have gotten all that back eventually, but what about bigger questions? What if I become disabled? What if I die suddenly and my family suffers as a result? What if I lose my job? Anxiety, however, Jesus tells us is incompatible with a thriving walk with Christ. Why? Because Christ freely gives us himself and ushers us into eternity. And if we could really grasp who Christ is and how marvelous eternity is, then suddenly the anxieties about our stuff seem to dissipate. First, that's for three reasons, by the way. First, because worry about our physical and financial security prevents us from enjoying the fullness of of life. Jesus says in verse 23, life is more, meaning greater, fuller than food and the body more than clothing. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul echoes this thought, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of the world. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. The hope of the gospel, North Roanoke Baptist Church, is this. Life is more. Not just one day, not just someday, but this day, for those who belong to Christ, life is more. Are you familiar with the actor Jim Carrey, the comedian? He's quite funny. Well, here's his version of what Jesus is saying and what Paul, in writing to Timothy, has just said. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Fascinating. Here's a man who has essentially anything you could ever want in life as the world defines it, and he says to us, though not a believer, that's not the answer. The answer that we have is what Christ tells us in verse 23. Life is more than these Things. We live in a world that desperately needs to hear and to know and to feel and to experience the reality that life is more. 
Aren't you glad that life is more than food, that it's more than clothing? When you get the call you never wanted, life is more. In the hospital waiting room, life is more. When that driver cuts you off, even on the way home from church, life is more. In the jail cell, life is more. In the hospital bed or the wheelchair or the behind the walker, life is more is more. When you don't get that raise or that job or the promotion, life is more. When you're frustrated with your spouse or your child, life is more. When the account gets low, life is still more. When you get cancer, life is more. In the surreal surroundings of the funeral parlor, life is more. Jesus offers life that is more than the mundane minutiae of a life built on worry. The life that Christ has for us is the abundant life of John 10.10. I did not just come to give you life, but life abundant. And we cultivate an appetite for eternity by giving away what is temporary as we seek what is eternal. As Danker writes, living is more than having. Aren't you glad that life is more than having? Because if it's not, then what do we say then of eternity? What do we say in the crisis moments? But Jesus promises us, the gospel is, life is more. Life is indeed more, and worry prevents us from enjoying the fullness of life. But secondly, worry about our physical and our financial security is futile. I've got a question for you this morning. What has worry ever accomplished good in the world? Nothing. It, 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 has, it has done the pharmaceutical companies a world of good. It's caused a lot of ulcers. It's done a lot of bad in our world. But what good has worry ever accomplished? This is what Jesus tells us in verse 25 and 26. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan or a cubit to his Height, I heard a preacher one time preaching this same text cite a study that said only 8% of what we worry about ever happens. Now, I hesitated to tell you that because some of you are going to spend the rest of this sermon worrying about which of the things you're worried about will be in the 8% of what you should be worried about. But you know what Jesus says, don't worry about it. Because it can't add an hour to your life or a cubit to your stature. So what does he say in verse 26? Why do you worry about other matters? If, if the small stuff you worry about doesn't improve the small stuff, then why do you worry about bigger stuff? Leave it in God's hands. Let Him work it out and trust Him and pursue His kingdom and watch Him add what He's promised He will add. See, hear the words of our King in Matthew 17, verse 20, while worry does no good, hear what Jesus says. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Worry accomplishes nothing, but faith the size of a mustard seed can be used by God to move mountains, which is the third reason we ought not Worry. Because worry about our physical and financial security indicates a lack of faith. In, in verse 24, 
We read this, if God feeds the raven, how much more must we trust that God will care for us? The God who gave himself in Christ Jesus as the bread of our very lives. Do we have faith in the God who feeds the raven? The God who did not spare his own son to rescue us? Of how much more value must we be to God than the ravens, which, by the way, were the most despised birds of antiquity? And if God provides for the least of these, how much more the capstone of his creation? When he finished creating Adam and Eve, he said, Not it is good, it is very good. God did not spare his son to come and redeem and rescue his fallen Creatures, how much more? If you underline in your Bible, by the way, I would underline life is more and how much more. How much more does God have for his children than he does for the ravens? In verse 27 and 28, we find that the lilies are clothed more gloriously even than King Solomon in all his wealth and splendor. And if God clothes the grass which is here today and gone tomorrow, there it is again, verse 28, how much more will he clothe those he has rescued for eternity with robes of righteousness? When we hold back on taking the plunge, what does that say about our view of God's view of us? Verse 28, it says we have little faith. You see, when our view of God is diminished, our problems become our God. They, they dictate our thinking, they tell us what we do and how we react, and they quench the Spirit's power to work within us the life that is more that God wants to build into our hearts. Daryl Bach says this, The security that many look for in possessions is only found in God. We know that anxiety about our things reveals a lack of faith. Instinctively, we feel that this worry dis bespeaks a lack of faith. But how is it that we stop worrying? Okay, Daniel, I'm a worrywart. I don't want to be a worrywart. What can I do about it? Here's what we do. Verse 29, we stop seeking the temporary, what you will eat and drink. And instead, verse 31, we start seeking the kingdom. The human brain was made to think about something. If I just shut up for a second and let you sit there, you won't be able to think about nothing. You'll be thinking about something. As long as you're alive and have breath and are awake, your brain's going to be thinking about something. The antidote to the mental train that your brain is always on, the, the antidote to worry is not to just stop thinking. Rather, it's to start thinking about kingdom matters. It's about thinking about what was made to last. And the only way that we can do this is when we trust, when we truly believe, listen, that our Father knows we need these things, verse 30, and that these things will be added to you, verse 31, that the Father will take care of those lesser matters. You see, generous giving and generous living is a way of saying, God, I trust you. That's why I love when we come to the time of offering every Sunday. Because for all the hearing of the word, for all the singing of the songs, 
When, we, when the plate is passed, it's a physical opportunity for every single person who calls North Roanoke home to say, God, I'm invested. I believe you. I trust that you have my very soul in your hands. It's an act of volitional trust in God. Even, God, if your kingdom will better advance through my suffering, I'm all in because you will meet my needs until your purpose for me is over. And then look at verse 32. You will gladly give me the kingdom. Aren't you glad that the Father's glad to give you the kingdom? He doesn't just have a kingdom out there that he's disinterested in or dispassionate about you pursuing and entering and receiving. He's glad to give you his kingdom. How do we seek the kingdom? What does it mean to seek the kingdom? To seek the kingdom is to live as a citizen of it. It's to deny oneself for the sake of our king and the sake of others. The church is a community of people who have agreed to die daily for the sake of one another, the sake of the nations, and the glory of our king. Why do we seek the king and the kingdom? Because even pagan nations, do you see this in verse 30? Even pagan nations have their eyes fixed on the temporary. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. What do they seek? They seek the fountain of youth and the gold at the end of the rainbow. No matter where they live, the nations are seeking the American dream. But God has brought us together to seek the gospel dream for those who do not yet know the King of Kings. Now some of us are still afraid to take the plunge. What does Jesus say to our fear in verse 32? You see what he says? Do not fear, little flock. Little flock is a term of tender endearment. It's meant to reinforce the love that Christ has for us. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. And he reminds us that the Father will gladly give us the kingdom that we seek. So why is it, North Roanoke, that even though worry is futile and the antidote to worry is seeking the kingdom, why is it that so often we still struggle with truly seeking the kingdom and going all in for the things of eternity? I submit to you it's for this reason. It's because it requires the daily discipline of treasuring Christ above all other treasures. You see, salvation is not treasuring Christ one time, walking an aisle, signing a car, getting baptized, and saying, I treasured Christ a long time ago, I'm okay. Salvation is the daily disposition of growing in our treasuring of Christ until that day that He either comes for us or He calls us home. The Christian walk is a walk of growing and growing and growing in the pattern of treasuring Christ. Jesus. You see that in verse 33 and 34. We must treasure Christ and the progress of his gospel above all other treasures. You see, we'll never seek the kingdom until we treasure the kingdom's king. And we can't treasure our king and cling to our things at the same time. Here's what Luke understands and he wants us to get. What gets our attention gets us. 
What gets our attention gets us. What got your attention this week? If you take stock of your life over the last month, what's gotten your attention? If you take stock of your life over the last year, what has truly gotten your attention? You see, our daily interaction with our problems and our stuff is a daily opportunity to demonstrate to ourselves, to our church, and to our king that we value him and prize his kingdom above all other treasures. In verse 33, Jesus gets real. He says, sell everything and give it away. Provide for your basic needs and put your treasure in a safe place. And the only safe place for anything we treasure is in the kingdom of heaven where no moth can destroy. And as it said elsewhere, no rust can destroy. In Luke 14 verse 33, Jesus clears any ambiguity we might have about the cost of discipleship. He says, any of you... Who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You can't have a more absolute statement than that from Jesus. So, so let me ask you, North Roanoke, what if Jesus asked you to give up everything for him? What if Jesus promised you in return the kingdom? Guess what? He has asked you to give up everything for him. Guess what else? He has promised you the kingdom for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Now here's the question. Do we trust him? Do we really trust him? You see, verse 33 and 34, though it's hard for us to, to read and to process initially, there's hope in verse 33. Frank Thielman says this, While wealth can pose a threat to discipleship, get this promise, its proper use can advance God's saving purposes. Isn't that great? That God pours resources into our life, and if we dispose of them and use them as He's intended, we get to partner with God in His saving work in bringing the nations to our King, who that they also can treasure until He comes again. Now, some of you are saying, okay, Daniel, I hear what you're saying, but what does that mean for me? What does that mean I'm supposed to do? And praise God, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know. The rule for you, under grace... I don't know how it's working itself out in your individual life. Here's what I do know. Grace leads us to be more generous than the law does. That's a principle that Jesus gives us. Grace leads us not to be less generous than the law, but to be more generous than the law. Not just in our finances, but with our lives, our service, everything that we are, all that we prize, all that we value. When we truly comprehend what we've received in Christ, there's no price too great for us to pay because we've received it all through our King of Kings. Having said that, a lot of you want a rule. A lot of you want a, a standard or a metric or a benchmark this morning. How is it that I know I've done enough? I think C.S. Lewis comes the closest to giving us the New Testament rule about giving. In his book, Mere Christianity, he writes this, I'm afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do 
because our charitable expenditures excludes them. How, how do we do that? How do we offer ourselves generously in our marriages and in our parenting and with one another and yes, even in our generous giving? How do we give of ourselves so freely, so willingly, so generously? This is how we do it. We treasure the kingdom. Verse 34, did you see that? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Start treasuring the kingdom and your heart will follow. Did you notice that Jesus didn't say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also? That's fascinating to me. Because so often we say, it's the issue of the heart, not what we give. And to be sure, ultimately that's true. But here's what Jesus knows about each one of our hearts. The Spirit begins to stir in our heart. He begins to lead us to do something that's crazy or audacious. And guess what happens? Daniel Palmer's old flesh starts to rise up. And I start to rationalize all the reasons that I wouldn't do what I know God is leading me to do. And so my heart's in it, but my flesh is countering my heart. And what does Jesus say? You take the plunge. You start to treasure me in my kingdom. And watch your heart follow into your investment. Because the more that you invest in eternity, the more your heart will be in eternity as well. The next day at the pool... My true friends, the ones who didn't heckle me, they gathered around me and said, Come on, Daniel, you can do it. We're still alive. So very reluctantly at first, and then with building confidence, I walked up every step of that ladder, and I finally made it to the platform. And I didn't make the same mistake of running out and looking into the deep end. I just ran and jumped. And I never looked back. And I found a joy that only comes when you get over your fear and you run off the platform and you take the plunge. North Roanoke Baptist Church, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't know what it is that Christ is saying to you, but I do know this. Together, as we encourage one another to be generous givers for the sake of the kingdom, we can do this together. We can stop our constant worry about our lives in the future. We can focus on seeking and extending the kingdom. And we can treasure Christ and the gospel above all other treasures. And we can watch our king get the glory among all nations. Together, North Roanoke Baptist Church, we can take the plunge. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, I, I pray that our vision of who you are would not be smaller than our problems. That our vision of who you are would not be smaller than our financial challenges, our marital challenges, our parenting challenges. God, that we would truly get a vision of who you are. 
that you would help us cultivate a heart of treasuring your kingdom that would permeate every aspect of our lives. And God, that you would improve every aspect of our lives as you have promised you will do when we seek your kingdom and treasure Christ above all other treasures. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.